good headache. Hello. I'm good. How are you? Is this on? Yes. Okay. So, as you guys know from last night, right, I really love, I love it when you worship. I love seeing that happen in you. Um, but I think a lot of times when we come to worship um, and we come to corporate worship, um, we assume a whole bunch of stuff. We assume that we all come, come at it from the same place. Um, and I was looking at you guys as you were, um, as you were worshiping, and that's kind of like a, it's a holy thing to look upon as you guys are um, singing your hearts to God. And, and one of the things that, that, that I saw several of you doing uh, was, was you were raising your hands you know, to God as you were singing. Um, which is an awesome thing to do. Um, but a lot of times they don't tell us why we raise our hands. Like it's just kind of something that we do, we've seen other people do, and so we don't necessarily know like why we do it, but we're in church and it seems like it's the thing to do, and so we do it. And so I wanted to say to you, um, I, was, I was inspired as I, as I saw you guys raising your hands in worship, and then I thought, you know, there may be people in here who like that isn't, like their tradition doesn't necessarily participate in that. And so it like, it might seem strange and you might wonder like, why is it? Or, or you might even find yourself in the midst of amazing worship, wanting to raise your hands and not really knowing kind of what that's about. So just, just before we get into uh, the sermon, the sermon before the sermon, uh, will just be just a little bit to, to let you kind of know why that happens. Um, in worship, when we are before God and he is dealing with our hearts, and he is, is, his presence is in the room. And we know that his presence is in the room because there's something that's, that's happening among us. We, we, we sense him. We sense who he is and we sense the love that he brings. We respond to him. Our bodies respond to him. Um, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but this happens to me. I call them Holy Spirit tingles. Like I, I, get, I get the Holy Spirit tingles where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, the Lord is, is in this place, and, and, and I, 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 I am just, it's electric. It's awesome. One of the responses to God's presence is to raise your hands. And when we raise our hands to God, we're, we're saying a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that we're saying is, God, I lift you up above every circumstance, every person, every other thing. God, I lift you higher higher than anything else. You are the ultimate goal, and I raise you up above everything else in my life. One of the other things that we're saying when we lift our hands to God is we're saying, Father, I'm here. It's almost like, you know, when there's like a baby, you ever see a, a baby go up to its mom or its dad, and it's just like, <laughs> I need you. I need you to pick me up. We're saying that to God when we raise our hands in worship. We're saying, Father, I need you. Another thing that we're saying to God when we raise our hands in worship to him is we are saying that you are everything and I am nothing. So because I want you not to just participate in worship 
um, and just understand the songs, but I want you to understand what's happening in our hearts when we are with our Father, when we are with Him. It is, it is a love reaction to Him. And the beautiful thing is that that love reaction to Him is not just due to Him when we're singing. It's due to Him at all times. And as you grow in worship, as, as you're being taught about this this week, as you grow in worship, one of the things that you're going to find is that there are going to be times when you're not, you are not singing, but your reaction to him might be to lift your hands. It might be a time when you look on something as beautiful as the lake and you just, you get a sense of God's presence and you want to lift him up. You want to say how amazing he is to you. You want to, you want to shout his name. Like those things are real. And see, here, here is something that you have to understand. The, the world thinks that you need to wait to get this that you need to wait to be actual practitioners of faith. But see, we're learning about David who was a child, who was a child who learned and he, and he grew deep in relationship with God. We learn about Samuel. We, we didn't talk about Samuel, but Samuel, remember, he was, he was God's man on the scene. Samuel, his relationship with God developed from him being a child who there were lots of adults around him who were supposedly dedicated to God, but, but God knew Samuel's heart and he chose to speak to him who is a child. So, I don't think you need to wait to understand who God is. I think God has an invitation for you right now that you might know him right now and that you might begin to be the agents of change right now for him. So we're going to open up the scriptures, or as I call it, my computer. Um, I'm going to have to sign on, so it's going to take a few moments. And let me read to you. Don't you sing that song. I'm, that's all right. I'm reading to you from the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 20. And this is what we're going to talk about. This is David and Jonathan. After the boy had gone, and I'll explain that later. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, left and Jonathan went back to town. So as we've been looking at David's life, thus far in David's life, there really has not been any significant relationship where we see David kind of being encouraged. He was the pizza delivery guy and the shepherd for his family. He was not really looked upon favorably by his father. I mean, sorry, not by his father, but by his brothers. As far as relationships are concerned, it was hard. Except King Saul had a son named Jonathan. 
And Jonathan and David were good, good friends. And King Saul began to have a problem. And his problem was that the world stopped seeing him as a kingly figure. Remember we talked yesterday about the fact that, that Goliath was, was the biggest and the baddest Philistine and that before when we talked about King Saul and we talked about how he looked, he looked like he was the biggest and the baddest of the Israelites. But the truth was he didn't have the heart to be king. And so when David stepped forward against the giant, well, that, that showed it. And once people started to see that there was somebody who had the heart to be king, people ached for that someone to be their leader. So Saul, who was the king, would go out to battle, and David would go out with them, and they would win, and then they would be coming back through town, and they'd be celebrating, everybody would be all happy. Oh, we won the war, we won it, we won the war. We're better than the others, because we want that war. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, just, I just made that up. But, um, but when they were coming through town, right, what would happen is everybody would come out and they'd be singing, and this is what they'd say. Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul would be like, <laughs> And then they'd say, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And then Saul would be like, but I'm the king. And they'd be like, oh, man, they just, they just silly, man. Don't worry about that, man. Don't even hear that. That's just silliness. Yeah, I did kill him. No, I did. Um, and Saul became very jealous of David. But not only did he become jealous, he became paranoid. And not only did he be, was he jealous and paranoid, after a while he became murderous. And he wanted David dead. But David's best friend was Jonathan, Saul's son. And so in the chapter that we read from today, before, uh, before we got to the part we read, David basically had to take his, his friend Jonathan to the side and say, look, your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan's like, man, what you talking about? He's like, yeah, your dad wants to kill me. Like, I, I know it. I, I can see it. I can sense it. Um, and so here's the deal. Like, there's a, there's a feast coming up, and I'm not going to show up. And if your dad doesn't care that I'm not there, then cool. But if your dad gets angry because I'm not there, then we know there's a problem. So they set up this system where David is going to go into a field and hide, and, and, and Jonathan is going to shoot some arrows, and there's going to be a little kid who go chases the arrows. If he shoots one of the arrows way too far, then he's going to say to the kid, oh, that one's beyond you. And David will know that, yeah, Saul, he does, he wants to kill you. And that's exactly what happens. Now let's switch from that for a second. Let me tell you a story. So when I was a kid, you all know I was in a very violent street gang, the Warriors. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we used to do a whole bunch of stuff together, some stuff. I mean, if I told you, I have to kill you. 
like we used to drive our bikes um, down to the, the Clark Candy Bar factory um, on the north side and um, right in the front um, there was a receptionist who sat there and there was a big giant bowl of Clark bars and Zagnuts and we could get however many we wanted. So we'd take Clark bars and Zagnuts. Then we'd go to the store and we'd buy Doritos. <laughs> and we would go to the park and share it. <laughs> because that's how we rolled. One day, the Warriors were playing in an old house, and that was something that we loved to do. That was one of our favorite things was to go into old houses. And we went into this old house in, in, on a street called Lake Street in Manchester. And we went into this house on Lake Street, and we, we, we found that it was, like, in great condition. Um, but it was abandoned. And what we did is we walked through all the house, and it was like we just were playing in people's stuff. And then we found that all the beds were still there, and they had mattresses. So what we did is we drugged the mattresses out into the backyard, and there was a roof, just a one-story roof that was above the kitchen. And it was perfect, the perfect height for jumping off of the roof onto the mattresses. So we set two mattresses on the ground, and we went up into one of the bedrooms that came out onto that roof, and we got there. And everybody made the decision that we were going to jump. So they all jumped one at a time. First Pee Wee, then Hap, then Crusher, <laughs> then CL, and then it was Boudad's turn. That's me. I'm, I'm Boudad, right? And when, by the time I got there, I, I just couldn't do it. And I was scared. Jumping off, why are you laughing? Don't laugh at me because I was scared. I was scared. So jumping off the roof, right? I came to the, to the edge of the roof, right? And, and um, you ever see that, like when girls double dutch, or, or boys if they want to, when they double dutch, like they do this, and the rope is going like they're about to get in. Well, that's what I was doing on the edge of the roof like this. And my friends were like, boo, you can do it, boo, you can do it. Boo, we're not going to take another turn. Until you do it, boo, we are not going to take another turn. I was like, all right. I think I did that for like five minutes. And they're like, boo, man, we, man, if you don't do it, we're not doing it again. It's fun, boo. It's fun. You just got to do it, boo. If we don't do it, if you don't do it, boo, we're not going to do it again. Boo, you can do it. You can do it. And then finally I jumped. And boom, I hit the mattresses. And I was like, that's the most fun I have ever had in my life. I've got to do it again. So we were running through the house and we did it over and over and over and over and over again. And I never would have done it if I didn't have a friend who believed that I could. Even when I showed that I didn't have what it took. Sometimes you need a friend to believe in you. And you see, David, 
He had everything. He had God himself choose him with a prophet. He had, he, he, he had defeated the largest giant ever known to Israel. He had, he had gone out as, and was victorious in war. And, and he, was, he was the man that everybody, his name was on everybody's lips. But the thing that mattered to him most was that he had a friend, that he had a friend who loved him, a friend who cared for him. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something today. You are not meant to prosper in this life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus by yourself. Sometimes you need friends. Sometimes you need people who will come alongside of you. Sometimes you need people who are going to help you along the way because what every adult in this room can tell you is that it is not easy to string together a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It is not easy, it is not simple, and it is not meant to be done alone. You know, when I first read this story of David and Jonathan, like, I was like, man, like, they were like some emotional dudes. I mean, they're all kissing and weeping. Like, what's that about? I had the opportunity to spend some time uh, in the Ivory Coast of West Africa. And when I was there, um, it was really interesting because I was on a missions trip and we were working together um, with uh, some, some African men and, and, you know, us Americans, right? We show up like each of us is a small Home Depot. Like we show up, like we have a tool belt with everything on it and pouches and steel toe boots and hard hats. And like we show up and the Africans show up like with flip flops. <laughs> I mean, like it was like a total different, different scene, right? And one thing I loved about it was that when they would work, they would sing. And I was, I was like, yeah, that's me. Like if we're going to get this done, let's make it fun, you know? So they would work and they would sing and, and it was just awesome. But, but then I noticed that the ones who were friends, like there would be times like when the work would stop for a few minutes and then they would go and they would stand over to the side. And we're talking about like these are, these are, these are masculine men. And they would be standing there and they would start holding hands. And you know, like, you know, if we're going to hold hands, excuse me, young lady, can you come here for a second? What is your name? Olivia. Olivia. Come up here, Olivia. That's a cute name. I like that. Are there any, are there any other Olivias here? How many other Olivias? I knew that. I look at that. Pop, not popular name. So, so what would happen, right? As Americans, right? This is how we hold hands, right? We're like this. Oh, this is so nice, right? And this is like this is friendly holding hands, right? But you know, if me and Olivia were dating, which we're not, okay? <laughs> because Olivia's a little young for me, and that's a little scary, right? Come on. But if, but it, but. If we want to be more intimate with one another, right, we hold hands like this. Thank you, Olivia. Olivia. Listen, the African men were holding hands like this. And I would see them, and they would walk down the street, and they would hold hands. And 
you know, was interesting for me because I'm an American, right? And it's just, I'm like different, you know? And, and, and as I was on this work site and I, was, and I was getting to know people, there was this one guy, his name, was, his name is JB, um, but, but he didn't speak English, so he would say GB. And so I thought his name was GB, but his name was actually JB. It just took me a lot of American dumbness to figure that out. Um, and, and JB came up to me and he grabbed my hand and he did this. And I was like, hi, hi. <laughs> how are you, uh, GB? <laughs> um, and he said, I'm holding your hand because you are my brother. And because you are my brother, my life will never be the same. I'm so glad we're friends. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Like, you want to actually know me. You want to actually be my friend. You want to actually have a relationship with me. And I have to tell you this. I'm saying this to you for this reason. You are not supposed to live this Christian life without the aid of brothers and sisters. You see, the, the strength that we have in this room when we're worshiping together and we all can say the same words and we all can agree in our hearts that these words are the truth, that strength that we have is the strength that we're supposed to take from this place back to the place where we live. And we need to know that we don't live it out alone. We need to know that we live it with people who love us. Because brothers and sisters, we're going to start finding out in David's life that there are some hard times coming. And when there are hard times coming, the thing you need to know is that you're not alone. I'm going to close with this. When I was a young kid, I grew up in an alcoholic family. And what that means is this, um, one of the caregivers, one of my parents um, was, was, was an alcoholic and for a lot of my life, especially during my middle school years, uh, that person was drunk every day. And as a person who's about your age, I would spend a good deal of time actually being a caregiver for that person. Um, cooking, going to the bar and getting them and leaving them home while they were drunk. And it was the most alone a person could feel. And brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where your hurt is. It could be parents whose marriages are falling apart. It could be a parent who you feel has abandoned you. It could be abuse. It could be neglect. I don't know what your hurt is, but this is what I want you to know. God does not want you to have to face that hurt by yourself. I can guarantee you today that God does not want you to face your hurt alone. 
And the gift of Jonathan to David was that while he was being, while he was being plotted against, while he was being hunted, while he was being thought of as, as being someone who wasn't loyal, he had somebody who understood his heart and knew the truth about him. And I want you to have someone who understands your heart and knows the truth about you, regardless of what others who are outside of here think. You need to develop Christian friendships. You need to develop friendships with people who believe. You need to find somebody who has the kind of relationship with God that you want to have. Or you need to find somebody who you can say to, I know that you don't relate to God and I don't relate to God, but we want to relate to God, so let's learn how to do it together. You need to find somebody who is going to walk with you because there's a lot of people who want to walk around you who don't care what happens to you. You need to find somebody who is on your side. Even Jesus had friends. And he had all power given to him. And even he had friends. It is not meant for you to walk this walk alone. So I have an assignment for you. You ready for an assignment? You better do it too. No, just kidding. I have this assignment for you. I want you to identify somebody this week, somebody while you're here that you can walk with. Somebody this week, somebody here who you can say, listen, I want to walk with Jesus and I want to walk with you. And listen, this is anti a lot of stuff, because a lot of people, a lot of people, the way they do it is like, well, my relationship with Jesus is like it's my own personal and private business, and I'm and I'm religious, um, but I'm but I'm but I'm religious as an individual, and I want to tell you that that is absolutely ridiculously not faithful. Our faith isn't about what we do alone. Our faith is about how we become an amazing community that's about transformation. And we can start that in relationships. So I want you this week to take on this assignment to find somebody that you can walk with. For some of you, that's going to be another camper. For some of you, that's going to be one of your leaders. But if you want to walk with Jesus, then I challenge you to make it someone. Don't leave here without having found the person who will walk with you. And I want to say this to you. I was in the leaders meeting this morning, uh, and you won't believe what so-and-so, no, just kidding, I was going to say, you won't believe what so-and-so just said about the kids. No, just kidding. Because that didn't happen. But I was in the leaders meeting this morning, and, and this did happen. In the leaders meeting, People were talking about, about you guys and talking about your experience here um, and talking about um, how you guys are getting along with each other and all of that stuff. And here's the thing I want you to understand. 
There is an enemy who would like to come and stop everything that's being done in you. And, and the enemy's ways, they're not new. They're not new at all. So the enemy is going to have somebody being cool and somebody being not cool. The enemy is going to separate us by some people being black and some people not being black, some people being white, some people not being white. The enemy is going to do all of the stupid things that he does because if he can do those, if he can put like those little grains of sand into what's happening here, then what he can do is stop us from being effective. And we will have had a great fun time, but we will not be able to go back to Pittsburgh and bring change. But that's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming to be, amen. We're, <laughs> we're aiming to be the kind of community that can actually bring change. We're aiming to be the kind of community that brings a revolution when we step off our buses back in Pittsburgh. We're aiming to be an amazing community united in Jesus Christ. And if that is the case, and if we are able, which we are, then you need to find someone who will invest in you as a spiritual friend. Because hard times are coming. And the beautiful thing about Surf City is that this isn't a hard time, unless you have strep throat. That's horrible. But outside of that, this isn't a hard time. This is a great time. But hard times are on the horizon. Get ready to weather those hard times with someone else. That's why David and Jonathan wept. They wept because they loved each other but they wept because there was a challenge coming. And when the challenge comes, you need to be ready with the brother and sister. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together. Father, I am thankful for each one that you have here. And I'm thankful that you love them. And I'm thankful, God, that they're called according to your purposes. And Lord God, as, as they worship and as they open their hearts to you, I pray, Father, that no weapon that's formed against this community would prosper. I pray, God, that you would break down every old barrier that seeks to erect itself as being effective. And I pray, Jesus, for the start of beautiful spiritual friendships in this room. That we, Father, could mirror the relationship of David and Jonathan, that we could mirror the beautiful habits of, of JB, and if we, that we, Lord God, could be people who truly love each other. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for your spirit. Keep having your way among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Surf City 2017. Feel free to share this audio, but please do not alter the content. Surf City is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. To learn more, visit us online at pkfcamps.org.